Support this show and all the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at $1 a month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access at the higher levels. Heartlandpod.com. Click the Patreon link or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. Have reached our cruising altitude. It's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts. And a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today. On the docket today, we have more than one story where the courts are having to do the jobs of our elected officials, or at least inform them they have to do their jobs. When they operate without bias, the courts can truly shine and show us that third arm of governance. So whether the courts are in the process of fixing something broken or getting amped up to do so, I certainly salute when the process works. Judge hears arguments over Missouri AG push to inflate cost of abortion initiative petition. Attorney General Andrew Bailey's attempt to increase the cost of an abortion rights initiative petition was unprecedented and illegal, say lawyers for Missouri's ACLU and the state auditor's office, as they argued their case in Cole County Court on Wednesday. No attorney general has ever attempted to exercise this level of discretion, says Robert Tillman, deputy general counsel for Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick. Meanwhile, the attorney general's office contends it was simply exercising its authority under state law when it refused to sign off on a fiscal note summary crafted by the auditor that said the abortion rights initiative petition would have no cost to state or local government. At the heart of Wednesday's arguments in Cole County Circuit Court are 11 initiative petitions filed with the Secretary of State's office in March seeking to roll back. Missouri's abortion ban by enshrining reproductive rights into the state's constitution. As part of the initiative petition process, the state auditor is required to create a fiscal note and a fiscal note summary that states the measure's estimated cost or savings, if any, to state or local government entities. The auditor's fiscal note and note summary show that there would be a zero cost or gain to the measure. And when Fitzpatrick's office completed its work on the amendment's cost estimate, Bailey refused to give what has traditionally been considered perfunctory approval. Bailey insisted the auditor increase the fiscal estimate, saying the amendment would cost the state billions billions of dollars. Fitzpatrick said that would be a lie and refused. Because of the impasse, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft says he can't complete his work on the summary, and thus supporters cannot begin collecting signatures to place the issue on the 2024 ballot. On Wednesday, Judge John Beatham agreed with Ashcroft dismissing him from the lawsuit since his office is unable to perform its duties until the fiscal note issue is resolved. Tony Rothert, attorney for the Missouri ACLU, believes Beatham should order the attorney general to certify the fiscal note so that Ashcroft can then finalize the ballot summary and signature collection can begin. The ballot summary was supposed to be completed by May 1st, and any further delay makes it increasingly less likely the proposal will make it to the 2024 ballot, with less time to collect signatures, which is exactly what they want. If the judge agrees with the attorney general that he has veto power over the auditor's work, he should order Fitzpatrick to acquiesce to Bailey's demand so the process can move forward. Rothert says, if we are wrong, then the auditor should be ordered to prepare a fiscal note summary according to the attorney general's specifications, and then we can sue the attorney general later. But as it is now, our client is left in limbo as the auditor and attorney general look at each other. <sighs> any trick they can pull, folks, any trick they can pull. Whether it's attempting to make the initiative process a larger hurdle for Missourians, 
to get what they want, or something like this, using blatant bureaucracy to gum up the works and delay simply putting it to a vote, whether Missourians want to allow women autonomy over their health care. Just imagine if our political leaders spent even an iota of the effort spent blocking us from having a say at the ballot box, instead on matters like our crumbling roads, the foreign takeover of our farmland, or the decaying of our public schools under their watch. Heck, there's a chance if they did, our state could function well again. Oklahoma Catholic School set to become nation's first religious charter. An Oklahoma board approved the nation's first religious charter school on Monday, agreeing to publicly fund a school where Catholic teachings will be incorporated into lessons throughout the day and testing the constitutional bounds of taxpayer funding for religious education. The new online school, called St. Isidore of Seville Catholic Virtual School, will be run by the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Oklahoma City and the Diocese of Tulsa. It plans to enroll students in grades K-12 through in fall of 2024. Religion will be woven into every subject from math and science to history and literature. Religion is baked into everything we do, said Brett Farley, executive director of the Catholic Conference of Oklahoma, which handles public policy and government affairs. Our aim is to continue doing what we're already doing in Catholic schools. The application was approved on a 3-2 vote by the Oklahoma Statewide Virtual Charter School Board. Almost immediately, the advocacy group Americans United for Separation of Church and State said it would challenge the decision in court. It's hard to think of a clearer violation of the religious freedom of Oklahoma taxpayers and public school families than the state establishing the nation's first religious public charter school, says Rachel Laser, the group's president and CEO. Charter schools are publicly funded, but privately run, and must abide by some of the rules that govern traditional public schools. The new Catholic school, which expects to serve 500 students initially, was created in part to provide Catholic education for students in rural areas that do not have a private Catholic school nearby. But it was also set up intentionally to test the legal limits of taxpayer funding for religious schools. The move is part of a conservative push to expand the boundaries of school choice, giving families more taxpayer-funded options for religious education. Farley called this a watershed moment in the school choice movement. A drive to break down the once solid wall between public funding and religious education has already made significant gains. Over the past six years, a conservative U.S. Supreme Court has issued three rulings that religious institutions could not be excluded from taxpayer-funded programs that were available to others. In a 2017 case, the court ruled that a church-run preschool in Missouri was entitled to a state grant that funded playgrounds. In 2020, the court ruled that Montana could include religious schools in a program giving tax incentives for supporting private school tuition scholarships. And last year, the court said that a main voucher program that sent rural students to a private high school had to be open to religious schools. Now Oklahoma is testing whether the state can directly fund a religious school. But others say Oklahoma is pressing the point too far. This decision runs afoul of state laws and the U.S. Constitution. All charter schools are public schools and, as such, must be non-sectarian, says Nina Rees, president and CEO of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools and Advocacy Group. The Archdiocese of Oklahoma is trying to make charter schools into something they are not. Even Oklahoma Attorney General Gentner Drummond, a Republican, also decried the decision and said it could open the state up to costly litigation. The appeal of any publicly funded religious school is contrary to Oklahoma law and not in the best interest of taxpayers, he says. It is extremely disappointing that board members violated their oath in order to fund religious schools with our tax dollars.
Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for talking politics. You can also join a variety of our hosts on most Tuesdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports like The Delta with Nicholas and Christina Linky and High Country, Sean Diller's Western Political Updates. On Thursdays, tune in for Dirt Road Democrat with Jess Piper. And as always on Fridays, you can catch up with my show, The Fly Overview. Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a pod head today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. In Missouri... According to the latest state report of racial data on traffic enforcement, black motorists stopped by Missouri law enforcement are much more likely to end the encounter with either a citation or in a jail cell than whites. The report is the 23rd consecutive compilation of police statistics that show black drivers are stopped at a higher rate than their share of the Missouri population. Also in Missouri, teachers who quit their jobs on short notice are facing increasingly severe consequences as school districts facing staffing shortages impose financial penalties as high as $10,000 or are seeking to suspend the teaching licenses of teachers who break their contracts. Mark Jones, communications director of the Missouri National Education Association, describes districts going after teaching certificates as a heavy-handed approach. It works against incentivizing people to become educators and staying educators. Educators, particularly for new educators who are not on tenure and are being asked to make these contract decisions in January or February. Six or seven months later, their lives may be very different. Whether they just discovered this is not the right situation for them or they, like many of us, have a sudden life-changing event. Going on, Jones also says that going after the license is counterproductive at a time when many districts are struggling to find and keep enough qualified teachers. In Utah, in 2022, the Utah legislature approved the contentious House Bill 374, which lawmakers have described as a way to weed out content found to be pornographic from K-12 libraries and classrooms. You know, a book ban. Well now, the Christian Bible has been removed from all elementary and middle school libraries throughout the Davis School District in Utah after someone challenged its contents. Which has conservatives sitting up and saying, well now, hold on a minute. The Challenger states that the Bible is one of the most sex-ridden books around, noting that the Bible includes mentions of incest, bestiality, prostitution, genital mutilation, and rape, among other things. The individual also included an eight-page document of specific Bible verses to substantiate their claim that the Bible includes many examples of sensitive materials that have led to the removal of other books. I believe that's an example in Missouri we would call chickens coming home to roost. In Wisconsin, the Republican-controlled Wisconsin legislature on Wednesday voted to stop Democratic Governor Tony Evers' administration from requiring 7th graders to be vaccinated against meningitis. The legislature's vote also makes it easier for parents to get an exemption from a chickenpox vaccine requirement that is in place for all K-6 students. Evers' administration simply wanted to require parents seeking a chickenpox vaccination exemption to provide proof that their child has been previously infected. 
A Wisconsin judge on Monday declined to dismiss a lawsuit seeking to ensure that no records are deleted from a now-closed state office created to investigate former President Donald Trump's loss in 2020. The lawsuit was one of several filed by liberal watchdog group American Oversight against former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman and the Office of Special Counsel that he led. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss had hired Gableman to lead the probe in 2021 under pressure from Trump and conservative Republicans in Wisconsin who were pushing for decertifying Biden's win. In Iowa, saying that America is in a lot of trouble, former Vice President Mike Pence publicly kicked off his 2024 presidential campaign, officially beginning his bid against his former running mate, Donald Trump. Pence is directly tied to Trump despite their dramatic split in the waning days of Trump's presidency. When Trump demanded Pence use his ceremonial role in presiding over the electoral count to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 presidential win, Pence refused, and crowds of Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol on January 6th called for Pence's head. Pence has defended his decision many times in interviews, speeches, and his memoir, and he defended it once again as he launched his campaign. Pence said that Trump's attempt to elevate himself over the Constitution disqualified him from regaining the nation's highest office, saying, I believe that anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States, and anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. And lastly, the Supreme Court unexpectedly upholds a provision prohibiting racial gerrymandering. The U.S. Supreme Court on Thursday stepped back from the brink of totally gutting the landmark 1965 Voting Rights Act by a vote of 5-4. to four. A coalition of liberal and conservative justices essentially upheld the court's 1986 decision requiring that in states where voting is racially polarized, the legislature must create the maximum number of majority black or near-majority black congressional districts using traditional redistricting criteria. At issue was Alabama's congressional redistricting plan adopted by the Republican-dominated state legislature after the 2020 census. 27%, or more than a quarter of the state's population, is African American. But because of the way the congressional district lines were drawn, minority voters only had a realistic chance of electing the candidate of their choice in only one of the state's seven districts. Well, folks, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel you have a story I should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet me throughout the week at Kev in Midmo or the Pod's parent account at the Heartland Pod. And speaking directly to that, I would like to thank David Rogers for providing one of the stories that we ran this week on teacher decertification. This week's episode featured reporting and information from NPR, Des Moines Register, the Associated Press, KSL Utah, the Springfield News Leader, the Missouri Independent, and MSN. Thanks for listening. The Flyover View is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See y'all next week.